0: it's five. Let's go there. Growth groups. That's right. You did that, right? So on the back table, I know she did this, but sometimes, somehow, after the service, you guys forget the announcements that were done in the beginning of the service. Um, But there is a sign-up sheet in the back. I think there's one name on it, somebody that wants to be in a growth group. And they have been placed in a growth group, I think, or they will be today. Um, so what we want to know is if you're interested, because there is room for you, we want to get you put in the right place, but can you guys that are in growth groups, and don't do this for me, this is before the Lord, okay, if, if you've been in a growth group and, and you've been blessed in a way that you hadn't anticipated or expected um, when we kicked this whole thing off, would you just raise a hand for me? So that's blessed in a way we didn't expect by participating in that. So if you're not in one, um, we've got a a bunch of different days of the week, different times, and all that. Talk to one of those people that raised their hands um, as encouragement. So let me explain my controversial title this morning. And, And some of you may look at it and say, you lost me. Controversial title. How's that? controversial. I can tell when the word says command, just the countenance that comes over some of you. Um, Because I'm not the boss of you. I'm not going to tell you what to do kind of thing. Um, And I hope there was no one really thinking that. But that's kind of, for a long time in my life, that's exactly where my head and heart would have taken me. And that's, that's not at all my intent this morning. But this last part 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where we are. We're only going to cover from verse 12 on. And to be honest, most of the time, this section of of this little letter is, I don't want to say an afterthought, but there's so much teaching in the beginning of this about um, Jesus coming for his church and all of that, that this sort of just gets read through as some afterthoughts by Paul. And what's interesting is when you actually look at the language of this letter and we get to this last part, Paul lays down a bunch of active, imperative verbs, um, also known by us non-teacher types as bossy verbs or commands. These, these last things are actually commands that he gives us inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's my hope and my prayer after a week of prayer and fasting as a church that we're collectively... And individually, in a good place to receive correction, to to hear the voice of the Lord, to receive direction um, for those that need it, to be refreshed in the Holy Spirit with with these words and and these at this time that this is an addition or a continuation of that week of intentionally seeking God. That this is what he would say, and these are the things that he would have us do as a church. Just the timing of this, that this is how that ends. So I, I, in addition to that, I want to thank you all for your prayers and participation this week. Those of you that were able to do that, anybody that showed up for any of the prayer meetings, um, if you weren't able to do so, not in any way a condemnation, but I'll just say you missed out. Um, If you don't do the growth groups, you miss out. That's it. That's there's no like rebuke in that. It's just the Lord has so much here, and has called us together as a church body. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into the remaining part of this letter together. Lord, we're grateful. Uh, Lord, even our worship this morning, so awesome, Lord. Not because of uh, anyone up front, but because you're saints. Sang. Lord, your saints worshiped you. And uh, that's encouraging. And Father, I pray as we read your word, Lord, we know it's inspired by your Holy Spirit. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it, give us understanding in our head and our hearts. Lord, that today your word would be like a mirror for every individual in this room or anybody watching the live stream, Lord, to examine our our lives and our hearts and our actions against what your word says that if it offends, Lord, we take that to you. And if it corrects, Lord, that we receive that. If it encourages, Lord, whatever negativity or um, discouragement the enemy might give, that that would be broken and defeated today. Lord, your word is powerful, life-changing. May your spirit move in this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, or, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll probably hit that book too today. Um, First Thessalonians 5, starting in the 12th verse. He says, and, he, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their works sake be at peace among yourselves one of the reasons why we uh, ask you to bring your bibles and ask you to follow along in our bibles and we pass out bibles for those that don't have them and we put them up on the screens is so that you can see that it is actually the word of god that's being read and taught and expounded upon Otherwise, if I, if I were to stand up here this morning and say something like this, it's, it, it seems kind of self-serving, right? Because I'm, I'm one of the ones that labor among you and I'm saying, please love me. <laughs> Esteem them very highly. In love, it actually says. But I, I want you to see all of what it says. It says, for their work's sake. You know, not because of a, a title or... A position in the church, or that hands have laid on, or we call them deacon or elder, or any other thing, but those that labor among you. So, if, if someone's in an office and they're not doing that, I, biblically, I don't think this really applies. But those that labor among you, we're to be nice to, and we're to esteem them highly in love, and because of their work's sake, because they serve us and sacrifice for us, and it's hard work. And there's a lot of people in this church that give a lot of time. And so I, I will focus this on me for a minute. Um, you would think that we as a church would do this. You know, but oftentimes we don't. I'll, I'll say not every single week, but um, the majority of the weeks... Somebody somewhere isn't nice to me. In, and I'm a pretty important person around here. <laughs> I say that because I know there's people that are doing this uh, for their work sake in the cafe, or in children's ministry. And if it happens to me, how much more so there you know lack of gratitude or an attitude or or those types of things that we take those things for granted as a church body and uh, I'll just tell you what pray this is the only conviction you get today no, I'm just kidding this, this is light stuff this is it's been a heavy week that I'm so grateful for personally but but Paul begins this last, last section Um, with some heavy things. Like I said, and personally as I've read through this in the past, it has been kind of closing thoughts. But the language changed there. These last few verses, I think there's 17 of these commands that he lays out. Just putting that in context, the last couple chapters where we've talked about the rapture of the church and um, all of those things that he's told us to do, the, the commands in those sections were the, to encourage one another with these things. Everything else in there was like encouragement or exhortations, but they weren't that um, those same type of verbs. They weren't commands. But these things are commands. We're to esteem those that serve among us with love. And then this last part, that applies to all of us, that we would be at peace among ourselves. I I got a quote here from uh, David Guzik that I thought kind of nailed this. It says, if a Christian can't esteem and love their pastor, they should either get on their knees asking the Holy Spirit to change their heart or go somewhere else and put themselves under a pastor that they do esteem and love. And that's um, not in any way said uh, for me. Again, set me aside, but there are people that love and pour out in your kids all the time every single week and um, most of the time there's a complaint attached to that in some way or just do what it says okay (laughs) I don't want to beat anybody up today I've I've prayed and prayed and prayed all week I know there's some stuff in here that's that's heavy and the Lord has actually had to deal with my heart I, I love you guys and I I've Come to church, and I have felt beat up before. I got beat up in some areas this week. I'll tell you one, I think it was Wednesday, where we specifically prayed for President Biden, and we prayed for Kamala Harris and, and different leaders of our nation by name. And I have in the past, been pretty quick to complain, but one of the things I had to confess and repent before the Lord was, when was the last time I intentionally went to him and prayed? their names and prayed for their salvation and prayed for their good and prayed for their families and prayed that God would have an impact on their hearts. That was just one of the things. Verse 14. He says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. I would love to spend the rest of the service on this verse. Uh, I don't think the Lord will let me. But there's so much to see here. When we, when we go through, first thing I want you to see, I'll read it again. We exhort you, brethren. So that's intense encouragement. The language there is not actually a command, but he's saying, we exhort you, brethren, um, kind of like a big brother saying, come along, do this, or, or your coach. And, and he says, warn those who are unruly, comfort the fainthearted, uphold the weak. So when I look at this verse, I see three different categories of people, right? And, and how often do we look at a group and we stereotype or we deal with everybody the same way or this is, this is our response to this thing. And Paul's giving kind of last words here and he's saying, don't do that. The Lord has created us all individually and unique. And when we're dealing with people, how we respond to people um, I read a passage this morning in prayer out of Proverbs. Um, Take heed to know the state of your herds, shepherds. You know, we're to know that you're different than you and you're different than you and and how we respond. There are some in this room that are unruly. I don't want to point any fingers. <laughs> Love this side over here. No, no. <laughs> Unruly. Unruly. So the background, the context, it's, it's actually like a military term. Um, I bring that up as an example because if you picture the military either twirling their, their rifles or marching in formation, everybody's marching in formation, and, and you've got a drill sergeant or a commander calling out cadence to keep everybody in step, like our drummer, you know, boom, 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 four beats keeping everybody in step and one guy's kind of doing the the curly shuffle or something your attention is focused on that one that's unruly or we have one among us that everyone else here all of our wonderful cafe workers that i esteem highly and love when they go to make coffee back there they they turn on the coffee maker they wait for it to say brew they put the coffee in the thing and they put an urn underneath a wednesday night somebody thought they'd do it their own way and not put the thing underneath. So all the coffee, anybody have coffee once tonight? All over the counter, all over the floor. Again, I don't want to point any fingers. <laughs> but that's, that type of thing is being unruly. Everybody else is doing it this way. The expectation is that you would do it this way, but you're doing it your own way. You're not in step. You're not following along. And I don't mean we should all be, well, yeah, I do, followers, but followers of Jesus. But so that person, that unruly, that self-willed, rather than under the Lord's will and direction, we're to warn them. That's our response. Hey, I see this in you, and, and here's what the Word of God says how this should be done, what this should look like in your life because you you claim his name and, and he died for you and by the word of God your life is no longer your own so this is what it should look like and, and because I love you, that's the key, because I love you, let's look at this and let's look at this and hey, if you're seeing stuff in me, let's do the same. So the unruly, that's how we're to, to respond and then the faint hearted where to comfort them. Totally different. Faint-hearted literally means little spirited. It can mean despondency, it can mean a wounded spirit, a loss of resilience. It, it, it can mean a diminished or depleted motivation to actively engage. And and here's, here's why I want you to understand that definition. Because on the surface, if I'm looking at the unruly. Unruly, and I'm looking at the faint-hearted. What I see might look the same, right? If 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 the unruly's self-willed and doing their own thing, or they're not doing what's expected of them, it might look like this one thing. But if I'm looking at the faint-hearted, and they've been hurt, or they've been scarred, or they've been wounded, and they're just—I uh, don't even want to say unwilling, unable to trust or be transparent or to do this thing, they might also not be doing that thing, but for totally different reasons. And what happens if I come along to the faint-hearted and I'm a leader here, I'm the pastor here, and I'm seeing this, and this has to be rebuked, and this has to be corrected, or it's got to be warned, and I come along and I get in the face of the faint-hearted and I warn them, and they already feel like they're not doing it because they can't do it, I've destroyed them. Paul says, I exhort you, I intensely encourage you to understand that we're not all the same. We don't all have the same background. We don't all have the same history. You come alongside the faint-hearted and you're to comfort them. I'll tell you what, it's just as dangerous if we, if we get that wrong too and we come along the unruly And we say, well, I want to err on the side of grace and I want to do it 18,000 times and I'm going to look at the actions of the unruly and I'm going to comfort them. And I'm going to enable them and encourage them in their continuation of sin and being self-willed. I've created a monster. I'm not looking at the back for that. But it's true. We We don't want to comfort... The unruly. God didn't save us for us to stay the exact same that we are. That's the whole thing about sanctification, right? That there is supposed to be ongoing change in us. But that can be difficult. The faint-hearted can look like the unruly. In the book of Hebrews, we're actually given uh, a little further instruction on our treatment of the unruly of the faint-hearted, rather. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 says, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet that that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. When we respond correctly, when we comfort the faint-hearted, this is the response. You can, you can kind of get a picture of your head of that description with the the hands hanging down and the feeble knees. Like, I, I just don't know that I can continue or that I can make it. But when we make the path straight for them and come along the lame, that the damage doesn't continue. But there's healing there and restoration. The word tells us to restore one another in love. He goes on and he, he talks about the weak. The weak were to uphold the weak. What does that look like? That sounds different, doesn't it? Than comfort. We're, we're to uphold them, we're to carry them, commit to them, lift them up, actually remove the obstacles from their path. Comforting is kind of easy. Warning. That's your nature. Some, some of you that just comes so natural. We want to be God's rebuker. But upholding the weak, that's, that's messy ministry. That's hard. That's being committed. That's long haul. That's, that's, uh, that's being committed and not being overcommitted. That's not, I'm here to uphold all the weak because I can't do that. I mean, honestly, you look at the life of Jesus and Jesus had 12 that he really came alongside. And he was Jesus. And he was single. And he didn't have kids. I'm not Jesus. I can't uphold even 12 of you. So it's, it's, it's being committed and it's not being overcommitted. It's it's the Lord has identified this, and I, I want to lay my life down and come alongside you and carry you if I have to, and and clear out the obstacles and and commit. Not just you do good for a couple weeks, and I'm proud of you, so I'm gonna move on. But I'm with you in this. That's upholding the weak. Jesus described the uh, failure of the Pharisees, the religious leaders in his time to do this. They weren't doing that. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, this is what he says about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and, and they make Matthew 23, 4. Can we hit the next one? For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Paul commands us not to do that. We're to uphold the weak. And then the final command in that verse, again, this too is a command, be patient with all. So there's your universality or whatever, how we treat everybody. Identify where people are at, and that takes discernment, not your smart head. But it takes asking the Lord to show me, is this self-willed? Is this unruly? Is this faint-hearted? Are they, are they weak? But regardless of all of those, we're to be patient with everyone. It's a command to our church. It's a, it's a command in your marriage. It's a command in your parenting. Be patient with all. Certainly it directly applies to our marriage. Amen? Amen. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Should be thinking about that all day. I'll be patient, though. Verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil, to anyone. Sounds repetitious for a reason. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. We are not to seek revenge. If someone does evil towards us, we, we aren't to try to get back at them. For the most part, if, if somebody is getting under your skin or pushing your button we should say, oh, I, I still got a button. My life is no longer my own. I'm, I'm not supposed to have buttons anymore. I need to unwire that thing. Some of you guys went through and read that book, Unoffendable. Some of us read it more than once. If we're Christians, the, the Lord actually gives us in the Word a course of action in Matthew chapter 18, when people sin against us, how we're to respond by that or to that. But nowhere in there is rendering evil for evil. Nowhere in there is uh, being offended. It's it's just dealing with it. The second command in this verse is, is for us to pursue and for some of us this week, notice everything is us, me, this week too, but that that pursuing and intentional and being diligent about things. We're to pursue what is good, both for ourselves and for all. Jesus put that a different way in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. I've been blown away in the last couple of weeks just spending time on Jesus' love for us. Jesus' love for me. I'm going to tell you, I was going to share something at the end of this message, but I want to invite you guys. um, I don't know how many of you looked at our Facebook page this morning, but some of you guys did a chronological study through the Word with us last year. Some of you have started your own studies and it's um, January 22nd, so you're probably discouraged. Maybe you didn't follow your thing all the way through. But I, I posted today the first of 30 days with Jesus. And I, and I just thought it was so fitting coming out of this week of diligently seeking the Lord and what he has for us to spend the next 30 days just being refreshed and resting in Jesus. So every day, every morning, if you go on our Facebook page, there's, there's, it's like one chapter or a piece of a chapter. But for the next 30 days, it's all about Jesus. And, and this is what he says. A new command interesting this idea of the commands here and, and jesus says a new command i give you that you love one another as i have loved you and and going through that will help us identify what that looks like what Jesus' love looks like for us and where to love each other like that i need some prayer that's tough love right that's not natural that's supernatural Verse 35 says, By this, so there's some benefit here. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you can say what you want to say, or you can preach what you want to preach, or do what you want to do, but if you want to show the world that you're the real deal, it's by this. And again, notice it's a command. Verse 16, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always. Super easy. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this, oh, wow, check this out. Wait a minute. One more, Jim. Unruly, faint hearted wheat. Good job, brother. Good job. I appreciate it. I love that you're taking notes. Again, it's not Paul. Wait a minute. 18. Hold on. Let me see if I can do it. I don't have 18. Do you have 18? Okay, stop messing with it. That's what you're saying to me. Weak. (laughs) In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. What's God's will for me? We just went through this a couple chapters ago, right? Our sanctification, abstains from sexual immorality. And then it says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's God's will for us. That means that as Christians, we are to be a joyful people, not uh, Eeyores. A joyful people. That's supposed to be a characteristic of our lives. I don't know if I can do it. It's a command from the Lord that we would rejoice always. I was so blessed in prayer. I don't know who it was out in the lobby in the cafe area, but there was some joy going on, some laughter, some relationship. It was really cool. You guys are welcome to join us for prayer. But it, it was a different thing. And it was, it was we were blessed by hearing it. And that should be a characteristic of our lives, that we're joyful people. We're to rejoice always. We're to pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. Well, how in the world do you do that? Because I've been through some trials. I've been through some real tragedies in life. How do I give thanks for that? I've experienced things, I I can't give thanks for this particular thing. But I can give thanks in it, which is what it actually says. I've got a history with the Lord now. And I can look at, back on my life and see his faithfulness. And I can look back on times when I didn't understand at all. And my response was to actually rebel and turn away and run from him because I was angry or I was hurt or these things. But now I can see there was a reason in that that I didn't get. There was purpose in that, actually for my good. Even though I didn't understand it, there's still things that I don't understand. Let me let you in on a secret. The key to it is right there, the middle verse. Pray without ceasing. That affects our ability to rejoice and to give thanks if we pray without ceasing and that you, if if you're going to do that you can't do it the Sunday school way head bowed hands folded but it's this idea of being in a continual conversation with God throughout our day i think some of you may have experienced that for the very first time this past week as as you went to grab your phone if you were doing a media fast or or your belly rumbled a little if you were doing a food fast and that made you aware and you prayed and you sought God continuously without ceasing throughout the week. And how powerful that is. How much it changes us in in our whole day in our interaction with people. That's how we can rejoice always. Lord, I'm having a hard time rejoicing in this but actually telling him that talking to him about that and he'll fix that Lord I don't get this but I trust you and I thank you that I can cry out to you in this, in this pain in this problem in this turmoil so I thank you for that I don't get how this is going to help me I don't get how this is, is, is for my good all of that's okay To cry out to the Lord. Does he want us to do that? Verse 18. That's his will for us. That we would do these things. It's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. For all of us. Then this, verse 19. Do not quench the spirit all kinds of different ways we can do that Uh, we can deny the ongoing continuation of the gifts of the spirit we cannot exercise the fruit of the spirit in our lives There's all kinds of ways I read in commentaries how I'm supposed to present this. Um, before Jesus ascended, he said, I'm, I'm going to send you a helper, an advocate, comforter. It's actually going to be better to have the Holy Spirit. We've read and, and gone through Corinthians. We know that The Holy Spirit gives gifts to each one of us as the Holy Spirit wills. He decides, not us. And and those are all to be used for the benefit of the body and all that. So we can quench it by doing none of that. But I'll tell you one way I, I see personally quenching the Spirit is living in the past. Interestingly enough, somebody mentioned it in prayer this morning. But living in the past and looking at our past wounds or past failures of church leaders or any of those things or the verses before when God does something or allows something that we totally don't get and we we live back there instead of seeing what God wants to do today in our lives. And God wants for our future in our lives and the men and women that he's called us to be in this not just sanctification purifying us but what's he calling us to do How is he calling us to serve today? We met his leaders yesterday and we went through the letters that we have of the churches in Revelation. A lukewarmness, leaving the first love, all that. And he tells us to go back to the things that we once did. It's not abracadabra your heart's going to change. But if you were in a better place with the Lord than you are today, it, it, it is a matter of obeying his word and go back to the things that you used to do and, and your heart will obey eventually. But we're to go back and do those things. We can quench the spirit when we can focus on the hurt and the pain and the bitterness and, and all the excuses that we have. Some of them, I, I'm sorry, I said excuses. For some, it's excuses, for some, it's valid reasons. There's scar tissue there. But we can quench what the Spirit wants to do today because of what happened yesterday. Instead of crying out to Him like it is His will and saying, hey, here's where I've been at. And Lord, I need to repent. And I need you to heal. And I don't want to quench your Spirit in, your life, in my life because you have everything that I need There's fellowship here with people that love you and are going to uphold you when I'm speaking to the weak, I guess. The command is, do not quench the Spirit. And I would start with the Lord, I don't even know how to not do this anymore. But will you help me? This might apply. To some of the things you've heard already, but it says, "Do not despise the prophecies." Certainly, we've, we're going through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, and there's prophecies there. But prophecy is one of the gifts in the church today, where we can speak forth the word of God into people's lives. I don't, I don't necessarily mean, but I'm not limited to. Um, I've been seeking the Lord through prayer and fasting this week, and and I want. I want to share this with you. I feel like the Lord would have me say this to you. But I've also had that happen, where God told me to tell you this, brother, and then connected to that do not despise prophecy, says, test all things. Next verse, please, Jim. Test all things, hold fast to what is good. Paul gives us a, a ton of more instruction on this. A ton of more instruction on prophecy and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. But two important things that he reveals to us there is in verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Okay, so if you come to me and say, God told me to tell you you're going to die in a crash on the way home. Um, It's not edifying. (laughs) It's not really exhortation and certainly bringing me Well, a little comfort I'll be with Jesus, but I think I, I got work here to do. That's what prophecy should be. So, we're to examine that against the Word of God. Further, he says, uh, "Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge." Right, So if, if someone were to give a prophecy, then certainly the elders of the church are to examine that against the word, but it doesn't say elders of the church, does it? It says, let the others. And I've had times where people have come to me and said, brother, God's told me to tell you this, and, and I've said, uh, no, I, I don't receive that. That's, here's what the word of God says on that, and that's none of these things. I don't believe that's a prophecy from the Lord. And I think that's biblical. But there's times when we need to not despise the prophecies. I've also had times where people have said things to me and my flesh has responded with, "Uh uh-uh. And I was despising the prophecies because that was directly from the Lord. And I painfully received it sometimes, not always. But I should have. It goes on if I've left anyone out uh, verse twenty two abstain from every form of evil. Gotcha <laughs> Got me that's a command. abstain from every form of evil, not to get too technical on you i I, I wanted to I wanted to understand this. I'll just throw this picture. Up here, because I I think sometimes pastors read things and it's like oh here's an opportunity for me to do this or do that or hammer or have a soapbox, and and I I try to be um, faithful to the Lord and discern what the Word says and share what the Word says and not share what the Word doesn't say. But it, when you look at this passage literally, it's Outward appearance. That's what takes form is what we can see. So that which is seen, appearance as well. Paul says, Christian, you to are to abstain from every form of evil and the appearance of evil. In fact, that's exactly, those of you that have the King James Bible, that's exactly how that's interpreted there, that you would abstain from the appearance of evil. So not only does it mean that as Christians we can engage In evil, neither can we have the attitude of who cares what other people think. I know what I'm doing, regardless of how this looks like. So if I say, well, I I like going to the bar because I like to shoot pool. Or I like to sit at the bar with a rocks glass filled with apple juice uh, because I like to watch the Bruins there. Paul's telling us that that still creates the form or the image or that which is seen that looks like sin to the world. And it's not just something to be considered. Like, how does this look? It's not just something to be considered. It's something that we're to abstain from. If you're not married, you shouldn't play house, and act like you're married. If you're dating, you shouldn't be spending the night. Or if you're traveling together, there should be separate hotel rooms. I know all that sounds kind of prudish. Um, And you can take it as presumptive or judgmental, but it's really not. If, uh, if you can do those things and you are the one in 7.888 billion people and maintain purity under those circumstances, um, it's not only unwise, it's unbiblical because it has the form or the appearance of evil. This should affect every area of, of my life and this should affect every area of your life. I'll tell you this, whether you like it or not, whether you like what this says or whether you like the explanation or not, and I know what I'm doing or I know that things are pure, I will tell you that it will affect both your witness and your ministry. Meaning the Lord's not going to allow you the same opportunities to serve and, and the church body needs everybody engaged. Right? The word is clear that the church is like a body and every part has to be doing their thing for it to, to function as it's supposed to do. And if they're not, if we're not, if, if the Lord's not allowing that because of the appearance of things even in our life, something's missing. So I, I'm not talking about a particular sin here and I'm not talking about the appearance of a particular sin um, but church, there's no sin that I can commit or there's no sin that you can commit that doesn't, that only affects me or only affects you, that doesn't affect the church body. And we need to consider that in light of this, that it's also the appearance of things. Verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you Completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Spirit, soul, and body. That's our trinity, right? We're a body. The Word of God says that this is a tent that we live in. This, this that you see is, is not me. It's a tent. It's flesh. It'll turn to dust someday. But we have a spirit. And we have a soul, our, our consciousness. And those things are to be ruled and surrendered to the Lord, no longer driven by our flesh. Some of us were confronted with that this week. But may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Remember there's a difference, those of you that did your homework a few weeks ago, between justification and sanctification. Justification means that I've been justified before God just as if I'd never sinned, saved by Christ. And sanctification is the process of him making us clean, that continual work that he's doing. And if that sounds beyond your ability, like I, I just can't, do this, it should. It should sound beyond your ability because it says in verse 24, he who calls you is faithful who will also do it. Jesus will do this in us if we don't quench the spirit, if we allow this to happen, this work to continue. I love that. I was sharing with somebody this week, even our backslidings, the word of God says that he will heal our backslidings. We don't have to wait until we're ready and then try really, really hard. And it's the same thing with this. He who calls you is faith, faithful, excuse me. who will also do it. And Paul has full comprehension where he's at. Verse 25, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us in this. He's writing these things. That puts his life under a microscope. I'm saying these things same thing it's like when you teach a marriage conference or you lead a group or anything like that if, if it's not consistent in your own life shut up right well, I don't have the ability to live all this stuff on my own and, and I'm asking you to pray for, pray for me Paul says pray for us I'm so thankful one of the days this week was about praying for our leaders here praying for me praying for my family and, and please don't limit that to this week then Paul says, 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Um, I've shared some stuff with you guys on this before. Um, A a pastor that took this literally, and I was offended severely by it. (laughs) Um, The command, this is one of the reasons why I looked at the language of this passage, the command here is greet, okay? That's the command. The kissing part is not the command. <laughs> greet. So we're part of our joyfulness. Part of how we're to respond with one another when we see one another. When we see our cafe workers. When we see our children's ministry workers. We're to greet each other. That it should be joyful and it, and and give that greeting. Nice solid handshake would be awesome. <laughs> it does say holy kiss. I'm not going to excuse it away, although it was culturally. If you go there today, that's, it's, it's still that way. But the command in the language, just so you know, is greet each other. That's how it's supposed to be. And, and some of this, uh, again, perfect example, but some of doing it can be offensive. So we want to greet. If we're actually going to follow the command to greet, we're not going to do that in a way that's offensive. Right, so... Um, men don't touch our ladies. Any questions on that? Please see me out back. Oh. We greet each other with a holy kiss. Verse twenty-seven. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. We did one. <laughs> Mission accomplished. We did that today. Charge you, brethren or I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Father, your word is a sword. Uh, Lord, it discerns between marrow and bone and Sin and righteousness and, Lord, i, I got to say, our flesh doesn't like some of these things when we hear them. And, um, but would you, again, illuminate your word to us, Lord, and show us what this should look like in our lives. And, Lord, if we're offended or uh, um, despising a prophecy, a sharing forth of your word, and, and we're despising it, Lord, would you show us why? And if we're to eat the meat and let it nourish us, Lord, or spit out bones. And I know any bones came from me today and not you. And, oh Lord, if there was any of that, uh, take it away. Forgive it. But, Lord, those things that were from you that uh, maybe were offensive to us or uh, maybe were despising, would you, would you uh, do your work in us, please? Lord, the uh, rejoicing always, the praying without ceasing, the giving thanks, Lord, show us how to do that. And Lord, for those of us in this room that have quenched your spirit in our lives, would you forgive us, Lord, and show us how to do the the first things that our hearts would be healed, Lord, and relationship restored with you. Lord, I'm praying with my brothers and sisters in agreement on these things, I know. And we're asking you to do this in our lives in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.